Good morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1 still. So take your copy of Scripture and turn to Luke chapter 1, where we will be examining this morning together verses 39 through 45. Beginning at verse 39, Dr. Luke records these words. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste, into a city of Judah, and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost, and she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me? that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. Let us pray. Once more we come together, Lord, to your word, which feeds our souls, which sustains our hope, which feeds our joy, and which continues to inform our belief. And we pray and ask that as we look to your word once more and as we find it to be true, even as Dr. Luke wrote these words to demonstrate to Theophilus that these words are true, that our faith would be bolstered, that though our flesh may fail, though Satan may assail against us, and though the world may try to twist the truth into a lie, nevertheless, we will believe these words and cling to them because, indeed, our very lives do depend upon them. And I pray for those in this room who perhaps are questioning wondering whether or not these things are true, that the testimony of your Holy Spirit and that the demonstration of its truthfulness would be what you use to bring them to believe it with conviction and strength. Thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. We pray that your name would be exalted in this service and in this sermon, for we ask it in our Savior Jesus' name. Amen. So, one of the interesting questions that I've never taken seriously but have asked uh, is, have you ever wondered whether or not people who claim they saw the Loch Ness Monster actually did see something like the Loch Ness Monster? I have to admit to you, I have never believed any kind of such thing. I've never believed that there's such a thing as Bigfoot, but I have talked with people who do. They believe, they, they are believers when it comes to whether or not there actually is this elusive creature called the Loch Ness Monster or a Bigfoot creature. And no matter what you do to try to demonstrate logic and reason or even the question of how is it that we only ever have hazy pictures of these alleged creatures, 
that doesn't shake their belief, no matter how much you try to dissuade them from it. When you believe something to be true, no matter what someone may do to try shake your faith in the veracity of that, a lot of times you will still cling to it. Here is Luke, in some ways, kind of doing that with Theophilus. Theophilus is looking at the Christians around him, and he sees people who saw Jesus, and he sees people who didn't see Jesus. He sees people who said, well, Jesus is really one among many gods. He's, he really should be included in our pantheon of gods. He saw other people who said, he really wasn't even a human. If he was God, he couldn't possibly have even had human flesh. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, but no there's no possibility that, that God can take on human flesh. And then there were others who said, well, he couldn't have been God because no man can be God. And then there was this other group that Theophilus heard and knew who said, this was Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. He was truly God and truly man. And Theophilus just has all of these words and all of these beliefs swirling around in his mind, and he's just wondering, what, what is true? Is he really just one amongst many gods? Does he d- deserve the exclusivity that his followers are claiming he should? Is he like this phantom? He looked like a human being, but he wasn't? Or was he just a mere man who claimed to be God and he was really just delusional? Or was he really who his followers said he was, that he really is the Son of God? And in fact, that if he is the Son of God, there was actual pointers in the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures that were pointing to that fact. So Theophilus has these questions, and somehow, we don't know how, but my surmising is that through the travels of Paul, as Luke was going with Paul to various places, that Paul and Luke met this guy named Theophilus. And Theophilus had questions for them. And he was asking them about the Christian faith, about this new group of people who were made up of both Jews and Gentiles. These followers of a man who many were claiming had died and that his disciples had stolen his body. But his disciples were saying, no, no, no. He promised, he told us most assuredly that he would raise from the dead and he did And we saw him, and there was a whole group of 500 people who saw him all at the same time. We're telling you, this is true. And Theophilus hears his followers saying, not only that, but we knew he was coming. And though we didn't all necessarily understand cognitively all that would entail, we do know that God gave us promise after promise after promise in the Old Testament that he would come, and he did, and these are all fulfilled. And Theophilus is just wondering, is this true? And so Luke takes up his pen, and he writes this very extensive book, part one of a two-part book, to answer the questions that Theophilus has, or to put it in a simple word, to give an apologetic for the Christian faith. And one of the things we've already looked at is the birth of Jesus. As, as all of these details are surrounding the reality of who Jesus is, Luke is laboring to point out to Theophilus, this is no mere man. He wasn't just born out of normal um, biological process like everyone else in human history has been. He wasn't just born without any kind of foreknowledge in the plan and mind of God about his coming. There were promises regarding this Jesus 
who would be the Jewish Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. And Luke says, I want to give you proof after proof after proof that shows you this is true. Which really brings me to today, because here we are 2,000 years later, and the same questions that Theophilus has are the same questions that maybe you have sitting in this room. Or if you don't have those questions, maybe you are like Luke. You are 100% assured of these things. I guarantee you know somebody who has these questions. And Luke's giving to us a model of not only what it looks like to defend the Christian faith and to demonstrate its truthfulness, but to do so with things that really we cannot deny. And what I want to do this morning is to once more take a story out of the narrative of Jesus' birth and show you how Luke uses something that probably most of us would, if we're thinking of the the Christmas story, most of us would say, okay, I don't know that I would have included that part. But Luke does, and he does so for a very specific purpose. And here really is ultimately what he's trying to get to Theophilus. Theophilus, we as Christians believe these things. We believe these things to be true. So those who believe these promises of God in Christ, guess what? We are blessed. And we know abiding joy. Knowing Jesus, believing these truths about Jesus, knowing what Jesus did on the cross, knowing that he rose from the dead, knowing that all of these things are true, make us the most blessed human beings on the face of this planet. And we are the the most joyful, happy, hopeful people there could possibly be. And Theophilus, you can know that too. That's Luke's point. And I think that's the point for us as well. So, those of us gathered here in this room today, do we believe these promises? If so, here are some truths that Luke gives to us in this very, very short story. It's only a few verses long. About Mary visiting her cousin Elizabeth. So here's what Luke is coming with us with these truths. Truth number one, that these promises about Jesus... These promises about Jesus are divine. They are, they are divine in origin. They come from God. Notice, first of all, here that when, when Elizabeth, I'm going to jump to the end here at verse 45, when Elizabeth is talking to Mary, and she says to her, Blessed is she who has believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by who? By Joseph? By her own parents? By the Lord. The message that Mary believed came from God. And this was no different for Zacharias and Elizabeth. The message that they received was of divine origin. It came from God. So here's what Theophilus is saying to, or here's what Luke is saying to Theophilus. Theophilus, the message we're giving to you is not made up. We're not coming to you with a really cleverly devised tale of words. We're coming to you with a message that we know without a shadow of a doubt came from the Almighty. And this message cannot be denied when it comes from him. So the message about John and Jesus, Luke says, came from God. That's what he just said in the previous verses. That's what he said to, about Zacharias when he's in the temple. So he says about uh, Elizabeth when she believes the, the way the Lord has dealt with her bountifully. She knows that she is pregnant because it is a work of God. And Mary, when she gets the visit from the angel Gabriel, hears that this is the message of the Most High God. These are all from God. So Luke says, Theophilus, Mary and Elizabeth are not crazy people. 
Those followers of Jesus who are claiming he's risen from the dead are not crazy people. These are messages from God himself. The promises about him as well are divine. But also notice back there in verse 41. When Elizabeth is in her house, Mary's on her way. And as she's on her way to tell Elizabeth what she has heard, what ends up happening? It says that when Elizabeth hears Mary's greeting, that the baby not only leaps in her wombs, but Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. That is a formula for someone who is about to speak and act with the word of God. When the prophets of God prepared to speak to God's people and to proclaim oracles either of condemnation or of blessing, what were they always doing? They were doing so with the blessing and the power of God's Holy Spirit. When David was king over Israel, what did he ask and beg God not to take away from him? His Holy Spirit. There's something about God's Holy Spirit being on somebody that brings about this authoritative speaking in the stead of God, which only goes to show you that what Elizabeth is about to say is not just her own opinion. She's about to make a proclamation that verifies this is a message from God. So Luke, writing down this to Theophilus, says, Theophilus, the first thing I want you to know is that this message we're giving to you is not of man-made origin. It is divine. And that is something that we have to keep in mind. The Mormon faith is a man-made orig- of, or, of man-made origin. The Islamic faith is of man-made origin. The Buddhist faith is of man-made origin. But Christian, your faith in Jesus Christ and his death and his burial and his resurrection and his ascension and his rulership over his kingdom is divine. This is a message from God. And this message is one we can confidently say we believe Because these promises come from God. And these promises concerning Jesus are divine. So that's the first thing Luke wants Theophilus to understand. Here's the second thing. The promises concerning Jesus are not only divine, but they're verifiable. Theophilus, you're not doing a blind leap in the dark. I want to show you this is provable. And he gives three witnesses. The first one is clearly Mary. In verse 39 it says, After the angel leaves, leaves Mary... At this time she arose, and here I have before me uh, not only the King James, but as well as the New American Standard. The New American Standard says, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country. Imagine, you just got a message from the angel Gabriel, who says to you, remember your cousin, your older cousin Elizabeth? She's too old to have a kid, but let me tell you, she's six months pregnant now. Where once people were calling her the barren one. The one who will have no children. With God, nothing will be impossible, Mary. And so Mary says, be it to me according to your word. And after the angel leaves, Mary says, I don't know when Joseph's getting here, but I got to go see my cousin Elizabeth because I want to hear what happened to her. How is my cousin, whom I always heard would never have children, all of a sudden, six months in, she's entering her third trimester. What's going on? So she leaves with haste to go verify the message of the angel. 
to find out what did you hear, Elizabeth? What did he say to you? Something about your child must be special too. But I think she also wanted to hurry over there because she wanted to tell Elizabeth exactly what she had been told as well. Elizabeth, you will never believe what I just heard. You're never going to believe it. Literally, it's, it defies logic. I'm going to have a child, but I'm still a virgin. I'm not married. I've not had any, had any kind of relationship with a man. This is a miracle of God. She wants to go demonstrate to Elizabeth not only that Elizabeth is really entering her third trimester and to find out why, but also to share with her the wonderful news about herself. So she goes over there to do that. And when she goes to see Elizabeth, what does Elizabeth tell her in verse 45? She says, blessed is she who has believed what would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Elizabeth says to Mary, Mary, you are blessed because you believe the message of God. Why would Elizabeth say that? Why would she point out that Mary believed the message of God? This is me reading between the lines, but I wonder, is it because her husband for the last six months has not been able to utter a peep because he didn't believe the promises of God? Elizabeth has been the only one in the house who can talk. Her husband did not believe the message of God. And the angel says, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and you will be mute until you see the fulfillment of these promises. And here now comes Mary into Elizabeth and Zacharias' house and perhaps Zacharias might have even been sitting in there. And Elizabeth says to her, blessed is she who has believed the fulfillment of the promises of God. She will see the fulfillment of it and she believed it would happen. So Luke, right into Theophilus, says, Theophilus, Mary went and talked with Elizabeth. She verified that what the angel said to her, to her husband was true, that her husband really also was mute. And she demonstrated that what the angel who spoke in the stead of God had said was, in fact, exactly as it was in real life, meaning this promise was verified by Mary. But it was also verified by Elizabeth herself. How did Elizabeth confirm these promises about Jesus? Notice in verse 41, and this is where the story that Luke is giving as a historian has vital importance to who Jesus is. In verse 41, when, when Elizabeth hears Mary's greeting, Mary comes to the house and says, Elizabeth, Elizabeth, you haven't seen me in a long time. Are you home? And the moment Elizabeth hears Mary's words, the baby doesn't just move. The baby doesn't just kick. The baby leaps. This was no ordinary movement by a fetus in the womb. This movement immediately ushered in not only the awareness of the blessedness of the child in Mary's womb, but as well revealed the blessedness of the child in her own womb. For the moment that child leaped, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And she doesn't say, Mary, not so loud. Not so loud. I'm, I'm entering third trimester. 
this is getting a little too real here. I'm an old lady entering third trimester. Come in a little quieter, please. Verse 42, it says, Elizabeth cried out with a loud voice and pronounces two benedictions. Blessed are you among women, Mary, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Mary, you are blessed not just because you're blessed in and of yourself, but you are blessed because of that Holy One who is within you. You are a blessed woman. In fact, the word blessing is used three times in these verses and uses two different Greek words. The, the two words in verse 42 are the same, but in verse 45 she uses a different one. It's the same word that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, blessed are the peacemakers and so on and so forth. But she says to Mary, you are blessed. Why? How does she know this? How does she know Mary is even pregnant, one? Two, how does she know the significance of the baby inside of Mary's womb? And three, how does she know the identity of this child? For she says in verse 43, how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? This pronouncement from Elizabeth about the mother of her Lord is no accident. It's not insignificant. This is here used by Luke to show Theophilus that Elizabeth, acting with the Holy Spirit, is pronouncing unequivocally and clearly the identity of the baby in the womb of Mary. Elizabeth says, how is it that the mother of my Lord this isn't just some mere Lord as if he were a ruler over a land, but this is the Lord, the Adonai, the God, the mother of the one who is my Lord, my God, whom I worship and serve, who my husband goes into the temple and worships and serves. It is that Lord who is within the womb of my cousin. Elizabeth recognizes that Jesus, the baby, the infant in the womb of Mary, is in fact the Son of God. And she recognized the prophetic role of her, her child. Think about this. If none of us guys know what this is like, but I know Laura has explained it to me, tried to explain to me, like what you feel when you can feel the movement of a baby in the womb. It's, it's a unique feeling and a lot of times <laughs> with Benjamin or Daniel, when, we were, when Laura was pregnant with them, she wanted me to feel them kick. And for, for the mother, that is a wonderful feeling. You feel the quickening within you of the, the child. For me, it was a little strange. I wasn't quite sure that I liked the feeling of that. But you regularly feel the kicks of the child. What was it about this child leaping within the womb of Elizabeth? That was different. What made Elizabeth recognize that only 10 minutes earlier when the baby in her womb kicked her was different than the baby that leapt in her womb just now? And the answer is, I think, twofold. One, because she is filled with the Holy Spirit in this moment. She has God's Holy Spirit working within her because of her own child. But number two, she understood the significance of her own child. Zacharias, though he could not speak, no doubt probably communicated to his wife 
what the angel had said to him in some manner, likely writing like he did after the child was born. And if that is the case, what did Elizabeth hear her husband say? Elizabeth, you're going to be pregnant with the child that will proclaim the way of the Lord, of the Messiah, of the Anointed One. Our child will be the one who will clear the path, who will be the herald proclaiming the truth. And Elizabeth now recognizes that when she hears Mary coming, she's filled with the Holy Spirit and her infant within her womb leaps at the sound of the mother of Jesus that Elizabeth knows instantly, my son is already proclaiming with joy the way of his Lord. John, even before he's born, is already proclaiming the way of the Messiah. And he does so according to Elizabeth in verse 44, when the baby leaped in my womb for joy. This was not a normal leap. This wasn't just a normal kick. This was an infant who had cognitive awareness through the work of God to know that he was in the presence of the one he was to proclaim. And 30 years later, after they were born, he would baptize that very one. Which only goes to show you that anybody who wants to try argue for abortion, this is just a side note, anybody who wants to argue for abortion as a legitimate act, a viable act for a woman to do is utterly ridiculous. Elizabeth could have aborted her own child. Mary could have aborted her child. But even in the womb, Elizabeth recognizes that her child recognizes the presence of the Messiah. Do not let anybody suggest to you that children in the womb are mere nucleus of cells. They are human beings, just as John was and just as Jesus was. And this is the third way in which Luke tells Theophilus, I want you to know that these promises are verifiable. Let me show you who else confirmed it. This baby recognizes the presence of his master. He responded with joy. And Elizabeth responded with joy. This is really what I want us to come away with today. If anything else, if you, if you have come here and you said, look, you're preaching to the choir. I believe these things. I know these things to be true. Should you not also, like Elizabeth and, Mary, and, um, and, and the infant John, respond with joy at the presence of your Lord? Should you not? Should we of all people on the planet Earth be the most joyful people because we have not only the truth of who our Lord is, but we have the very spirit of our Lord within us? Should we not be a joyful people? We ought to be a people who are characterized by joy, regardless of the circumstances. So these are three ways in which these promises, according to Luke, are verifiable. That Mary, Mary proved this. Elizabeth proved this. John the Baptist proved They They demonstrated what I'm telling you, Theophilus, is true. And everything about this Jesus, I'm telling you, is true. The promises about him are divine. The promises about him are verifiable. And number three, the promises about him are fulfilled. Verse 45 Mary says, blessed is she, Makarios, blessed is she who believed. Mary, you believed these things would be fulfilled. You believed they would be and you know they will be. 
And now Luke is looking back. And he says to Theophilus, Theophilus, Elizabeth, even before the child is born, recognizes the belief and faith of Mary. Should you not too? These have been fulfilled. You've heard it. I'm showing you proof after proof after proof about the promises about Jesus. They're fulfilled, Theophilus. There's no question in my mind about the fact that these are true. There's no question in any other Christian's mind who believes these things. So Theophilus, don't let anyone dissuade you. These are fulfilled. And Elizabeth said, when Mary believed those things, she was blessed. Theophilus, if you believe these things, you will be blessed too. And Christian in this room, I assure you, if you believe these things, you are blessed by God. There is great blessing and reward for believing the fulfillment of the promises of God concerning Jesus. And this is the last one I'll just briefly mention. Number four, the promises concerning Jesus are joyful. We as Christians have every reason to know joy. Over and over again in this birth narrative, what word pops up? Joy and blessing. When the angels in chapter 2, which we'll hopefully get to close to Christmas time, when they start singing out the Gloria, what do they tell the shepherds? Do not be afraid, for I bring you glad tidings of great joy, which shall not just be to the Jewish people, but they'll be to all people. This is a joyous thing. And it's not just joyous because it's a really good story. The Christmas time good feels that we get when we read the Luke 2 passage is not the reason we get joy. The reason we as Christians have joy is because of Christ. That's why we have joy. Which is why I hope none of us are known as cranky Christians. We have nothing to be cranky about. We have every reason to know joy because of the peace we have and the assurance we have through the promises of Christ. So Luke writes to Theophilus and says, let me show you another story that demonstrates that the promises of Jesus are true. The message is divine. It's verifiable. God has not asked us to make a leap in the dark. God has given to us reasonable proofs about the promises of Jesus. And these promises have been fulfilled and they give to us an abiding, a lasting, and everlasting joy. So in this room today, who here is struggling to believe these promises? Who does not believe the word of God? This is our calling as every human being is to believe what God has said and the peril of rejection of that truth that we hear is the eternal judgment of God. So my first appeal this morning is to anybody in this room who has not believed the gospel of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, that you would believe that God is holy, that you are a sinner who deserves his judgment, but that in Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, who was raised for our justification, that believing him, as we read or as Brad read in the scripture reading, we might have life in his name. Would you believe that message? And for those of us who have believed that message, what is Luke really doing with Theophilus? He's bolstering his faith. 
saying, Theophilus, I know you have questions, but listen very carefully. We have reasonable, reasonable reasons to believe the Christian faith. The things that are being told by the apostles, the things that are being proclaimed by Paul, my, my companion, my friend, these things are true. And let me show you, I've talked to people like a good historian. I've done my research. I've talked with eyewitnesses. I've talked with the apostles and the disciples. I've talked with people who saw Jesus do miracles. I talked with people who heard of his origin. These things are true, Theophilus. Don't let the world dissuade you. Don't let your own questions and thoughts in your minds dissuade you. What we are believing is true. And if you believe it, like Mary, you are a very blessed person. And you know abiding and lasting joy. Let's pray. Our Father, once more we come to you with thanksgiving. Because you have not left us in our sins, but instead you have given us a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And we thank you that you have given demonstrable proofs of the truthfulness of our beliefs as Christians, that you have given to us the Holy Spirit that confirms these things that we have read and that serves as an inner testimony to the truthfulness of it. I pray for any person in this room who does not know Christ as Savior, Lord, that you would move in his or her heart even now to see that they need Christ that they must be saved from their sins and to enjoy what we were created to enjoy from the beginning, your presence and the joy that is there forevermore. And Lord, for us as believers who live in a world that is antagonistic towards these truths, I pray that you would help us in our weakness to help us know that even though we do believe that you will strengthen and help our unbelief. And I ask, Lord, that in kindness you would strengthen your church and help us to proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior Jesus till he comes again. For it's in his name we ask these things. Amen.